Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the Burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gas line, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week, we're going to cover the movie The Burbs from 1989. The studio was Universal Pictures, release date February 17, 1989. The running time, 101 minutes, and the rating is PG. The budget, $18 million, and the box office took in $36.6 million, and that was domestic gross, making it the 34th ranked movie of 1989. It did take in an extra $12.5 million internationally. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 53% rotten from 38 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, The Burbs has an engaging premise, a likable cast, and Joe Dante at the helm, so the mixed-up genre exercise they produce can't help but feel like a disappointment. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 2 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. The Burbs tries to position itself somewhere between Beetlejuice and the Twilight Zone, but it lacks the dementia of the first and the wicked intelligence of the second, and turns instead into a long, shaggy dog story. It's about a group of nosy neighbors who grow concerned when a strange new family moves into their neighborhood and settles into a crumbling gothic house that seems out of place in the split-level suburbs as a tarantula on an angel food cake. Who are these people? They're never seen in the daylight, but at night their basement windows flash and crackle with giant discharges of electricity, and sometimes they can be seen out in their backyard digging holes. For what? Corpses? Loot? They're like the Adams Family, ghoulish and aloof, though they look like they were born under rocks and have never seen the light of day. The movie was directed by Joe Dante, who contributed that eerie sentiment to the Twilight Zone movie in which people in an isolated farmhouse all seem to coexist in a comic book dimension. They were the original tunes. This time, with a related idea at future length, he seems to have run out of inspiration. One of the things he could have exploited was the very falseness of the suburban sets he uses. The street he shoots on may, for all I know, actually exist somewhere, but it looks for all the world like that permanent small town set they drive you through on the Universal Tour, and I will bring that up later. That's actually an interesting point that I don't even think Ebert even realized. 
It's hard to put your finger on what exactly is missing from the movie. The actors do what they can with the material and the special effects are ambitious, but somehow the film fails to rouse itself into any real conviction. It's cut and dried. We anticipate the major events in the story, and we're right. And when the explanation for the strange family's behavior finally arrives, it's not much of a surprise. That family is led, by the way, by a small, pale, fish-faced doctor played by Henry Gibson, the Oscar nominee from Nashville. Watching him in the final scenes of the movies, I realized his character was more interesting than the suburbanites we'd been following all along. Maybe that's what the movie was missing, a comic inversion to undermine all of our expectations. What if the typical suburbanites had all been undernourished geeks and the sinister new family had moved in looking all-American? Only asking. And that's the end of Ebert's review. Now, when I first saw the film in the theater, I was about 10 years old. And I absolutely loved and expected the same sort of comedy that Tom Hanks was so great at prior. So films like Splash and Dragnet and, of course, Big. However, The Burbs is meant to be dark and mature. And it, it was a kind of comedy that I didn't know what to make of the film. I didn't quite enjoy it like the aforementioned films. However, as I got older, I grew to really enjoy The Burbs and especially the actors in the film. And I'm glad I continued to revisit the film with repeated viewings as I grew up because it became funnier and funnier with each viewing. All right, let's get into the main cast. So this is truly a terrific ensemble cast. You have Tom Hanks, Bruce Dern, Carrie Fisher, Rick Dukeman, Corey Feldman, Wendy Shaw, Henry Gibson, Courtney Gaines, Gil Gordon, and the usual Joe Dante supporting cast. Now, I covered director Joe Dante's early career in the Howling episode, so check that out. But after the Howling, he had the biggest hit of his career, and still is his biggest hit, and that's the original Gremlins from 1984. He then followed it up with Explorers, which I really love, and that's an underrated film, and then Inner Space, along with a few vignettes in the parody classic Amazon Women on the Moon. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So the film was a loose parody of Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, of course that had James Stewart and Grace Kelly in it, in which the protagonist watches through his window the daily lives of his neighbors due to him being unable to walk from a broken leg. And the original script of The Burbs was entitled Bay Window. <laughs> it was also the first film under the production company started by Ron Howard and Brian Grazier called Imagine. Because of Hank's past working relationship with Ron Howard, Dante had an inside track to get him in the film. And Hanks had just finished shooting Big, but it hadn't been released yet, and he was just emerging as a star in Hollywood. Then once The Burbs started shooting, Big was released, and that film was huge, but Hanks took it all in stride and was totally down to earth according to the actors and crew involved in the film. I also covered Big in one of the episodes, so go back and listen to that as well. The only minor squabble that Hanks had with the story at the time was that he didn't want to play a father in the film because he didn't want to jeopardize his young and up-and-coming stardom as an actor, and the role might make him seem older than he really is meaning he didn't want, you know, those Fred McMurray-type roles so early in his career. However, he went along with it, and obviously everything went fine for Tom Hanks. Joe Dante wanted the film to really burst with vibrant colors due to the fantasy nature of the film, and this is an interesting take for such a uniquely dark film. At the time of the filming, there was a writer's strike, so Dante decided to actually give screenwriter Dana Olson a small part in the film in order to get around some of the possible issues with filming during a writer's strike. Olsen was also a co-producer on the film, so he could be on the set since he was a quote-unquote actor and producer. 
Only the Burbs and Fletch Lives were filming at the time on the Universal lot due to the strike. Also, Dante filmed in sequence, which allowed for improvisation and help with not having a writer officially around. Dante originally wanted to use a real neighborhood instead of filming on a set, but it's a bit of a challenge if you want to have houses potentially exploding in real neighborhoods. Also, as Dante pointed out, since they were filming in the summer of 1988, they also had to stop shooting because the Universal Studio tours would often occur for the park goers. It was a big moneymaker for Universal, and it, you didn't stop those tours for a movie. You stopped shooting the movie for the tours, and they ran every 20 minutes. Could you imagine trying to shoot around those? Also, the Burb set was near the Jaws ride, so every so often you'd hear screams of help, help <laughs> from the ride bleed-through from the audio. Now, the street that the Burbs was filmed on was the same as the Munsters TV show, Mockingbird Lane. This was Corey Feldman's house in the, in the Burbs. Tom Hanks's house was the Leave it to Beaver house. Desperate Housewives was also, many years later, filmed on this street. Bruce Dern was much like his character in the film. He was a wacky father figure of sorts and really helped Courtney Gaines by giving advice to the young actor. Now, Dante had worked with Carrie Fisher on the spoof comedy film Amazon Women on the Moon, and he loved working with her, and he realized having Hanks, Fisher, and Bruce Dern together as an ensemble was a huge get for this film, as they played off each other so well. Now, funny enough, Carrie Fisher had to wear a wig during the Burbs, even though it kind of looked like exactly like her real hair. This was possibly so that she could control the look and the feel of her hair so well while on set. Now, at the time, Corey Feldman was going through a wild phase in his career, and that sort of carried over to the set, because he'd bring all sorts of interesting guests on set, like porn stars and Michael Jackson's pent chimp Bubbles. <laughs> However, Bubbles decided to smear his poop all over Feldman's trailer during the filming, and Dante banned Bubbles from the set. <laughs> Carrie Fisher had gone through her own battles with alcohol and drugs, tried to bring a bit of guidance to Feldman, which helped a little, but again, he was young and famous, and he was enjoying partying at the time, which led to some challenges on set. Interestingly enough, the relationship between Hanks and Rick Dukeman sort of mirrored their characters because they had a strained relationship on set, which translated on screen and worked actually perfectly. All right, let's get into the film. So it begins with a cool graphic of the Universal Studios globe, and that logo, and it transitions into a real globe of the planet Earth as it zooms into the small suburb where the film takes place. It's in the middle of the night, and Ray Peterson, that's Tom Hanks, hears strange mechanical noises and lights coming from the basement of his next-door neighbor's house. And he goes outside to see what's going on, but after a few minutes, he goes back inside. We then cut to the next morning, and it's a sunny day as Ray gets hit with a newspaper from the paper boy, and in turn, Ray hilariously dumps his coffee in the direction of the boy, but to no avail. We are then introduced to the neighborhood throughout the credits. You have an older man named Walter, who is played by the great Gail Gordon, who has a hilariously bad toupee, and his dog Queenie is always taking a dump on one of the other neighbor's lawn, and we'll get to that neighbor in a bit. Now, if you're a fan of TV and radio from the 1940s and 50s, you'll remember Gail Gordon as Osgood Conklin, who played the principal in Our Miss Brooks. He has also had, did many things with Lucille Ball. You then have Ricky Butler, and that's Corey Feldman, who is a teenage kid who seems to live by himself. You then have Mark Rumsfeld, played by Bruce Dern, and his much younger wife, Bonnie, played by Wendy Shaw. Mark is a Vietnam vet who is wound way too tight and still thinks we're at war. It's also his lawn that the dog likes to shit on. 
His morning ritual is to raise the American flag, which has an automated motor, but this morning he steps in the dog crap. <laughs> Bruce Dern is just awesome in this role. You're in there, old man. Honey, honey, the neighbors. Listen up, mister. That piece of scum barking rat ears has just taken his last stomp on my lawn. I find one more, just one. I'm going to catch him and staple his ass shut. So the prop master Mark Jameson was charged with making fake dog poop because the actors complained they didn't want to step in the real thing. Understandable. The mixture included canned dog food and bean dip. <laughs> it was loaded into caulking tubes and squeezed out when needed. And that's what, you know, your big budget films like to do. So Ray is on vacation for a week from work, and he's enjoying, you know, window-watching all of the chaos his neighbors cause, while his wife Carol, that's Carrie Fisher, is amused by what goes on in the neighborhood, but thinks Ray is a bit too preoccupied with everything, especially the house next door with strange noises. That's the Quopex. One of Ray's friends, who is also his neighbor, is Art. That's Rick Dukeman. Art is a bit nuts, sort of like Mark, but more obnoxious. Well, actually, everyone on the block is nuts, as you come to find out, with the exception of maybe Carol. We're then introduced to Art as he's trying to shoot a crow that's in Ray's yard and then invites himself in for breakfast. Oh, you know how Suzette is about her bird fear. I mean, these crows start showing up out of nowhere. She's all over my back to get rid of them. Oh, the crows are too big for the bird feeder, she says. I don't remember seeing crows around here before. Oh, big bastards, too. That's why I got the gun. I'm going to pop a few of them. So why didn't you go with Suzette to her mother's house? Hey, I'm eating here, okay? Can you imagine me and the two of them alone for a week? I'd rather chew broken glass. Uh-uh. It's going to be a big week for the bachelor kid. Uh-huh. How come you're not at work, right? Well, I, I took the week off. Oh, a week off? That's great. What, are you guys going up to the lake or something? No, a backyard. A backyard? Just want to hang around the house and relax. Relax? Oh, oh, good luck with those maniacs you got living next door. Have you met the club fish yet, Art? No. No, I haven't. Nobody on the block has. But, uh, I did talk to the real estate fraud that sold them the place. Apparently their last house, it only burnt to the ground. Really? Yeah. A hideous, raging inferno. Neighbors from hell. Maybe. Whatever it is, I'm sure glad I'm not the one who lives right next door to him. I mean, come on, let's face it. You know, these Clopex are strange. I've been watching that house ever since they moved in. No one goes in, no one comes out, no visitors, no deliveries. What do you think they're eating over there, right? Well, maybe these people just want to keep to themselves, Art. No. Remember when the Naps lived next door? How many conversations did you have with the Naps? I had two. Oh, oh, come they didn't on. even say goodbye when they moved. Oh, please, don't even compare the two. I mean, come on. At, at least if they weren't conversational, the Naps were semi-normal. They worked in their yard, they mowed their lawn, they had a lawn to mow. There's Clopex. We don't even know how many of them there are. There are three of them. They only come out at night. Ricky Butler says that they're nocturnal feeders. Oh, Ricky Butler says. Last week, when I was up on the roof with my telescope, I saw them in their backyard. What were they doing, honey? Digging. I like 
grave diggers? Maybe. All right, that's enough of this conversation. I want you to stop spying on the Klopeks with Ricky Butler. And I'd like you to stop filling his head with such half-cocked theories. Where are you going? I'm going to go change it to my vacation toss. Are you done with your egg? We then cut to the always hilarious musings of Mark. Okay, honey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to mix the zinnias in with the rest of the flowers. The man at the nursery said that... Boy, that just... really burns my ass. What? That old fart. Got the best lawn on the block. And you know why? Because he trains his dog to crap in my yard. Hey, uh, Mrs. Rumsfield. No tan lines this morning. Looks nice. That kid next door is a meatball. Peterson. Came out in his robe last night when the foreigners were making all that racket. He didn't do one thing. Reinhardt then noticed one of the young members of the Klopik family standing on the porch. This is Hans Klopik, played by Courtney Gaines. He was in the movies Can't Buy Me Love and Children of the Corn, if you didn't know. And Hans looks like he's missing a few chromosomes, if you know what I mean. (laughs) The entire neighborhood stops and stares at Hans. Even the dog stops and stares. Ray and Art hilariously dare each other to knock on the door to introduce themselves and meet the Klopeks. So Art ends up putting his foot through the rackety old wood porch of the Klopeks. Ray knocks on the door and the address sign changes from 669 to, of course, 666. The metal sign then completely falls off and a swarm of bees come flying out of the hole behind the sign, which causes Art and Ray to run away. Mark then hilariously tries to help the guys by hosing them off with water. All the while, Ricky is laughing hysterically. Now, the beginning of the scene was a direct homage to all those great Sergio Leone westerns. Even the score music was borrowed from one of his films, and you'll notice the up-and-close shots of all the neighbors' eyes as they watch Ran Art walk to the house. It's sort of like the good, the bad, and the ugly. We then cut to that night as Ricky and his girlfriend decide to watch Ray, Art, and Mark scope out the Klopex place. Instead of taking his girlfriend to a movie, he decides there's much more entertainment by watching his neighborhood street. Okay, okay. The show's starting. Check it out. See the guy with the curly hair? That's Mr. Peterson. Now, he's like the skeptic. He's basically grounded in reality, and he doesn't want to believe his neighbors are up to something strange. You know, because if they were, he'd have to deal with it, right? Okay. Now, see the fat guy? That's Mr. Weingarten. He thinks the Klopeks are really evil and that they're, like, building a dungeon in their basement. So he and Miss Rumsfield decided to do a little uh, snooping around tonight. This should be good. What is this? It's an infrared scope. Snipers use it for night vision. Well, what are we going to do with it? I'm going to crawl over there and get a look in those barred-up basement windows. You know, guys, I've been thinking about it, and I don't think we should go through with this. Well, what are you, a Freddy cat? No, I just think things have gone off the deep end a little bit. I mean, infrared night vision scopes, what are we going to do next? Tap their phone line? Well, that can be arranged. <laughs> then all we have to do is burn a cross on the front lawn. Really? Yeah, that was just me. 
low frequency home or something. What is it? Is that a transformer or something? The goddamn power company. I, I can't. What? Where is it coming from? I know where it's coming from. like they're cooking a goddamn cat over there. I'm gonna go find out what exactly... Get down, get down, get down! Get down. Bruce Dern, man. So Hans opens the garage and drives down the driveway to dump a large trash bag into the garbage can. And then he smashes it down with a stick like a maniac and then drives back into the garage. This is incredibly strange behavior because who does that? Who drives to dump their trash down their driveway instead of simply walking down the driveway? Of course, the guys think it's probably body parts in the bag. So the three men decide to go back to their houses as it starts raining heavily and Ray sees the Quopex digging holes furiously in their backyard. The next morning is trash day, so the guys, of course, want to see what's in the Klopex trash. And we get to see the great Dick Miller as one of the garbage men. And, of course, he's one of Joe Dante's movie staples, along with Robert Picardo, who's also a Joe Dante movie staple. And he played Eddie the Werewolf in The Howling, if you remember. No way Wednesday night. I'm going to leave. This seminar could change your life, Vic. The man is a great healer. And I'm a great bowler. And Wednesday night, we're taking on Roselli Plumbing. You really should expose yourself to this guy, Vic. He understands paraphysical forces, the healing capabilities of crystals, and the, the laying on of hands. You want to try laying on some hands? This could be the Wait, hold it, garbage! Garbage! Garbage man! Hold on a minute! Wait a sec! Wait, 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 hold it. Hold, hold, what are you doing? I'm making garbage. Hey, the garbage truck, what are you, what are you mind? Give me that. Hey, check that out! Oh, there's nothing here. He's got a finger, not a nose, nothing. Give me that. Here you go. What are you doing? You asked me to help. Who are you calling? I'm calling the Delvanies and having them open the cottage. No, Carol, I don't want to go to the cottage. Fine, then Dave and I will go and you can stay here and spy. Oh, all right, okay. What? What? Are you sulking? No, now? go up to the go happening? up to the cottage, Carol. Take David, go up to the cottage. They need to pat around the house all by myself. Pat around the house Fine. all by yourself. All that's, you do is pal around the neighborhood. That's my vacation. That's my vacation. Heads. You know, I am very, very worried about you. Why? You're acting like what? What am I acting like, Carol? Look I'm acting this. like a guy who's on vacation. This uh, is see? not someone who's on vacation. I sleep late. Get a tan then. Oh, get a tan. How am I this supposed to get a tan? Pajamas. I don't know. Look, look. You go up to the cottage to get a tan. Take David with you. I don't care. I'll eat takeout. I'll do the laundry by myself. I'll vacuum. There has to be spotless when you get back. Why? Arson and garbage all over the street. Your mom and I are having a conversation. If you. What? Get out of the truck, man. Are you nuts? Hey, you gotta be in here somewhere. Vic, the Supreme Court ruled that a person's garbage is public domain the minute it hits the curb. Shut up. You guys pick up a hefty bag out of that yard that was bumpy and, and probably a little bit moist. What the hell is wrong with these people? He has a right to know, Vic. Don't start up with me. Hey, could you help me get this guy out of here? Huh? Hey, 
my taxes pay your salary. Look, I don't want to hear any of your bullshit either. The question here is garbage. And who picks up this mess? Who picks up this mess? Or you're going to pick up the mess because you are a garbage man. I took up garbage in cans, not from the street. Ray, there's nothing in here. We practically checked this whole truck. They, they must have switched on us during the night. The FBI? No, the cloak. Oh, no, naughty little puppy. Uncle Marky gets very upset when you're on his lawn. Wait a minute. You're all dirty and you're shaking. I wonder if Walter knows you're outside. In the rain? Yeah, yeah, it was raining. And there, there were how many of them? Well, uh, three. Three of them. And what were they doing? They were digging. Digging, like grave diggers. Yeah, I, I told you, they're ghouls. No, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say they were grave. They could have been digging for anything. They could have been digging for, uh, you know, like night crawlers. Night crawlers? Yeah, yeah, they're fishermen. Fishermen? Oh, oh, Ray, wake up and smell the coffee. What happened is a kid spotted us last night when we were sleeping. He, he got up, he went to the garbage can, he took the body, and, and then he, he... Buried him in the backyard. Let's get out of here. I like this. I hate cul-de-sacs. There's only one way out, and the people can't kind of believe it. Ladies. Does anyone know if Walter left a spare key around anywhere? He must have gone away and forgot to feed Queenie. <laughs> so Mark, at the time, half of his face has shaving cream on it while the whole you know melee is going on. And, and everyone goes to Walter's house because Mark breaks into the house instead of simply knocking. Walter is nowhere to be found, though his TV is left on. So Art assumes he's dead and buried in the Quopex backyard. It's not a rat. It's Walter's toupee. Oh, geez. Beautiful place to keep a toupee on the stove. I'm starving. You know, one thing about these old guys, they don't ever leave the house without their hair. No, sir. Walter left this house in a big hurry. Hey, you guys, look. These cookies are open. That's great. Oh, All right, everybody. Very nice. That's good. Very nice. I think we've broken enough laws for hey, one day. Let's just I'm get out sorry, of here. But we have not looked it's not against the laws, but I can't believe you people talking into this right, in the first place. Right. Why don't we just get out of our neighbor's house? Walter, your dog is at my house. Your window is broken because we all thought that... Walter, I have your dog. In the meantime, Art is trying to push his theory on Ray that the Quopex are Satanists. <laughs> Art, you had a dream you were going to win the lottery and you blew $500. Oh, oh, I can't believe you're still bringing that up. I had a dream a plane was going to crash, so you took the bus to Las Vegas. If so I'd have been on the plane, it would have crashed. And it doesn't matter. This wasn't a dream. This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, look, the world is full of these kind of things. Look at this. Black masses. Mutilations? Mutilations! The incubus, the succubus? I'm telling you, Walter was a human sacrifice. You should have gone to the lake. 
I should have listened to Carol. I listen to your wife. Who listens to their wife? Listen, you got to listen to me. You know what the deal is? What we got to do is we got to go down to the religious supply store. We got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. No, no. We got to. Then we got to go to the market. We got to get ourselves a couple of those big strings. You know they string that garlic. A couple big strings of garlic. We got to get ourselves some fresh lamb's blood. And then we got. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Ray, you're chanting. Ray, Ray, look. Ray, unconscious chanting. You're chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Ray, Ray, you're chanting. Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Satanists, huh? Ritual killers. Nice. Very, very nice. So let me get this straight. The Klopex are offering up Walter as a sort of human sacrifice to Beelzebub, is that it? That's one of the theories, yeah. Great. Great. So, this is your relaxing week at home, huh? Oh, I wouldn't have missed this for the world. It's week in Jonestown. Where are you going? The bathroom. When Carol goes to the bathroom, Ray switches the channels to one horror movie after another, from The Exorcist to The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and then he has a nightmare that he sacrificed in a satanic ritual by the Quopex. And ironically, when Ray wakes up, the TV is playing Mr. Rogers, whom Tom Hanks would of course portray on film 30 years later. Now, the dream sequence was much longer than actually what made the film, and it actually included parts with actor Kevin McCarthy playing Hanks' boss, and in that version, Hanks' character was fired. He wasn't on vacation, and he's hiding this news from his wife. Ray tries to relax with the help of Carol, who tells Art and Mark that little Ray can't come out and play today. <laughs> hey, Ray! Ray, we got a plan. Come on. We got a plan. Come on. We got... Oh. Sorry, boys. My husband's not feeling well. He has to stay in his room. Ooh, he's bad. Come on. Please, Carol, let him come out. Come on. He can't please, come Carol. out until he resembles the man that I married. Carol, we don't have Carol. that kind of time. Please let him come out. Come on. I think that I have given you my answer. So Art and Mark decided to leave a note under the Copex door saying, I know what you did. And then they run away after ringing the doorbell like little kids. Art then goes over to Ray's house and tells him what they did. Ray is incensed because they think they'll suspect him. And then Ray's dog starts bar playing with a bone to which Art notices that it's a human femur bone. The dog dug it up from the Quopex yard. Carol has finally had enough of this nonsense and suggests all of them go over together and introduce himself properly to the Quopex. Though Carol makes sure not to invite Art. <laughs> Can we do this tomorrow, Carol? To relax. Yeah, we'll probably find out more in five minutes of friendly chat than you guys can in a month of snooping around. Okay, now, everybody just act normal. Peterson from next door. 
show the goddamn brownies. Uh. Hi. Uh, welcome to Mayfield Place. We're your neighbors. We brought dessert. Uh, is your mother home? Here you go, Sonny. A little something for the old sweet tooth. Come by to say hello. Well, I'm I'm your neighbor, Ray Peterson, and that's my wife, Carol, and that's Bonnie. And, and this is uh Brumsfield's the name. I don't think I caught yours, Sonny. Hans. Hans. Oh. A fine Christian name. Hans Christian Anderson. <laughs> what are you, Catholic? I don't know. Pretty girl. Friend of yours? No, it came with the frame. It came with the frame? Yes. Oh, is this the dining room? He startled me. My uncle Ruben. Well, how do you do? You are the one who lives next door. Uh, why don't we get some coffee, Bonnie? I'll, I'll do it. You say we all sit down for a little of the old face-to-face, -face. eh, what, Rube? They're in there, all right. We're all just standing around. Oh, great. So all the while, Art, Ricky, and Ray's son are helping Art sneak over into the backyard of the Quopex. Back inside the house, Hans offers the group pretzels and sardines, while Mark interrogates the leader of the family named Reuben. They discover another part of the family is Dr. Werner. That's Reuben's brother, played by Henry Gibson. And his hand is blood red, but it's just paint. I really must apologize for the paint. I was just touching up one of my pictures. I, I find painting relaxes me. Sugar substitute? No, thank you, ma'am. It was very impolite of us not to have introduced ourselves sooner. I find my work is rather solitary. It always keeps us on the move. Did you know that we've had to move four times in as many years? Oh, all that moving must be very hard on you, hands. Indeed. And tomorrow, tomorrow we must all go to the university to discuss yet another transfer. No. And we're just getting to know you. Well, that's a shame. Isn't that a shame, honey? That's a shame. Says who? And I was just remarking to Hans. Today, how nice it would be to meet all of our new neighbors. And here you are. Actually, Doc, we're not all here. Oh. Walter, the old man next door. We don't know where the hell he is. Sorry! Sorry! Ow! Terrible, terrible thing. Why to the elderly? We were just remarking the other day about how an old guy like that could just 
drop right off the face of the earth without a sign. Mm -hmm. Vanish. No one ever see him again. No trace. Nothing. Ray, after spilling his coffee on himself, tries to use the bathroom when a giant Great Dane dog comes storming out of the room and races to the backyard where he finds Art snooping around. The couples leave and talk about their insane meeting with the Clopex. Okay, okay, I admit it. They're slightly eccentric. Slightly eccentric. Carol. But that Come doesn't on. mean that these people the are clearly the psychos. Ray, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Right. Been awfully quiet, Ray. Maybe we could have a little participation here? I, I think they're clean. Oh, I think Bonnie and Carol are right. See? You know, that's great, Ray. Just pull open the door, pull the ripcord, and just bail out on us. Oh, that's rich, considering you're the one who started this whole thing to begin whoa, with. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who started it? Tuna Neck? I Tuna think Neck? you instigated this You know who instigated this? Your little boy watching people dig in the you backyard. my... Honey, would you and Bonnie excuse us? I think I should have a talk with the boys in the den for just a few minutes. Okay. Oh. It's good to see you've come to your senses, sweetie. Just a minute or two. So, uh, what's the deal, Ray? Are you siding with the chicks against us? Is that it? Yeah, you totally pussy-whipped or what? Why don't you just take your balls out of your wife's purse, make a stand for one time in your life? <laughs> hey, Ray, come hey, on, it's hey, just hey, a figure it's a of joke. speech, Ray. It's a joke. He's getting around. Hey. Oh, it's, it's Walter's rug, so you got an old guy's wake. Big deal. You've had that in your trousers all day? After you found this in Walter's house yesterday, I slipped it back in through the mail slot. Well, where did you get it this time? Clopex. Wow. After the dog came up out of the basement, I found it wedged between a bunch of magazines, all of which, I might add, were addressed to Walter. Well, then, then that, that means that Opex went back inside Walter's house and got the hair. What do we do now, soldier? Well, you heard them say they were going away tomorrow. As soon as that car leaves in the morning, I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it. Okay, so normally with comedies, I go a bit longer, but this is the Burbs is different. This is a mis, you know, mysterious dark comedy. And if you've never seen the film, you'll really want to watch to find out what happens with the Clopex in the final 30 minutes of the film. You know, are they really murderers who bury and dispose of their neighbors in strange ways, or is this, of course, all a misunderstood paranoia from the kooky neighbors? You might think you know what happens, but really, the ending is crazy and tons of fun, so check it out if you really want to see a terrific dark comedy. Now, one thing should also be mentioned is the score of the music is extremely well done by Jerry Goldsmith, and each character has their own music during their scenes, so be on the lookout for that. 
All right, some fun facts. So the movie did pretty well for a dark comedy, but it was unfairly compared to Big for Tom Hanks, so that some viewed the movie as a failure. But really, they're two completely different films. Time, I think, has really been kind to the Burbs, as it was a bit ahead of its time, and if it hadn't come out so soon after Big, I think people might view the Burbs differently. And look, I felt the same way when it first came out. I was 10 years old. I was expecting something lighthearted and fun, and this movie is really for more mature you know, either teenagers or adults. And ultimately, nobody remembers what the critics say when the films are first released, with the exception of the famous ones like Roger Ebert and Leonard Maltin. You know, what always lives on is the film itself. The initial reviews are always temporary. And actually, this is interesting because with the advent of home video, and of course television, and now it's streaming, you know, movies live on forever. Way back when, it really mattered what the critics were saying off the bat because you only had your theater run. Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore, and you haven't had to worry about that, you know, since the beginning, you know, the mid-80s when, when VCRs became pretty prevalent along with cable TV. Now, there was an alternate ending that definitely fit the dark theme of the film, and it was a bit more tongue-in-cheek than the regular ending. And in some ways, I actually enjoy the alternate ending more. Now, I'm not going to give it away because it would tell you what happened in the real you know, film. So you can see it online or on the Blu-ray disc, which is released by Shout Factory. And Shout Factory does everything terrifically if you're a DVD uh, aficionado. There was also an ending in the original script where Ray is killed. But once Tom Hanks was cast, Dante realized they couldn't kill Tom Hanks. Now, fans of the late 80s hard rock scene and hair metal will be pleased to know that the band Jet Boy has three songs in the film. Now, Walter's toy poodle Queenie is played by the same dog that played Precious in The Silence of the Lambs. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we have two special guests, and we have them together, which is great. Metal Mike Tyler and Bill Roseberry. Of course, you can hear the Metal Mike show every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, only on ThatMetalStation.com. And, of course, his co-host Bill appears most of the time on that show, so check it out. And, of course, you you get a teaser here on Damn Good Movie Memories. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we are back. We got the dynamic duo of Metal Mike Tyler, or DJ Metal Mike Tyler, whatever he wants to be called, and uh, Bill Roseberry. Welcome back, guys. How's it going, Brian? Thank you for having us again, my friend, on the best damn movie podcast, Damn Good Movie Memories. You wanted to say best damn sports show because we've been talking uh, sports off the air. So that's- <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> that's okay. But we're going to talk about, uh, actually, it's a, it's kind of a cult classic now, The Burbs. Now, when I first saw this, um, I didn't know. I was only 10 years old, so I was used to Tom Hanks in movies like Big and Dragnet, The Money Pit. Uh, bachelor party splash things like that so this was kind of a it took me a while to get into this one uh we'll start with metal mike was this something that that uh you know you were drawn to right away because you're a little bit older you were probably a teenager at the time or was it something like i was expecting something different um i loved it my Mm -hmm. i went to the movies with my uh one of my closest friends we're still good friends uh lives in florida now by the name of bill govro me him and my family we all went to see it, and uh, we loved it, man. We thought it was hilarious. Uh, we've always loved Tom Hanks because of all the movies you just mentioned. Um, also, I like Joe Dante, too, so I kind of knew what to expect. And I mean, we just laughed our ass off, man. I, I uh, At the time, I know it wasn't a big hit, but to us it was. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we love that movie. We've quoted that movie several times. 
Yeah, I think it's a great film. I think one of the people in it did a very, in my opinion, underrated performance. And for the life of me, I don't know why he didn't get more work, but mm -hmm. we'll get into that further when we talk about the film. Sure. How about you, Bill? Same question. Um, I actually saw it on video, and it was the same thing. My family and I had become huge Tom Hanks fans, and um, same thing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Splash, Money Pit, Big actually was obviously his big break, yeah. and he's riding on coming off the riding the coattails of that success, being up for an Academy Award when he does the Burbs. So the Burbs, the one thing I'll say about the Burbs is it's probably a little bit more dark comedy than what you know that other stuff had been at that time. And it, but I loved it immediately. Um, mm -hmm. It was one that my family and I you know, fell in love with also Turner and Hooch had come out that year yep. in 89. That was another big one that, uh, we enjoyed when I was growing up. We, Tom Hanks was a guy that my family and I have always been drawn to. And when it was movie night and you were going to go get a rental, you were always, you know, Tom, if there's a new Tom Hanks movie, it was going to be one of them we were going to grab. It was him, Arnold, Sly, you know, those were kind of the guys, Mel Gibson at that time, you know, those were the guys you were, you were going to, to rent stuff for. So, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of it since it came out. Mm -hmm. Now, Mike had mentioned Joe Dante, which is really important. So obviously you had been a, introduced to his films like, you know, Piranha and the howling. And, and I would say the closest probably to this would be gremlins where it's kind of got that, uh, that kind of kitschy, you know, humor to it. Um, I had been introduced to him and I didn't realize at the time through explorers, I loved explorers. Cause that was kind of like the kids were basically my age and it was kind of a sci-fi thing, but definitely the darkness, as you were saying, uh, you know, fits into this film. Um, what about the humor immediately were you drawn to like, what, what are some of the, the best scenes and, and gags that, uh, after rewatching it really stick out for you? And we'll go with Bill on this one. I mean, I love Corey Feldman and, the way he brings his friends over and he kind of eggs things on like he's, he's egging on Tom Hanks and Bruce Dern mm -hmm. so much and bringing a girl over to watch is better than TV. And <laughs> you know, he, I mean, he's kind of like the instigator for all of it. And I just love, love it. You know, I mean, uh, when he has all his friends over for the party, that's the best. And, yeah. And they're all like cheering and stuff. I mean, it, it's so, it's so funny. It takes the, it takes that 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 suburb subdivision mentality and just kind of you know emphasizes it and kind of you know takes it to the nth degree about how ridiculous people can be over their their little neighborhood and stuff and you know um, I I think Corey Feldman really his I, I think he was underrated during this time you know you kind of get for you kind of forget about him but he was so great in so many movies from this time frame and The Burbs is probably one of the underrated performances for him um i also loved uh and i know mike was talking about it really i can't remember the actor's name that the 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 other neighbor uh besides bruce stern and tom hanks the comedian that um, um oh rick, rick uh dukeman yeah rick dukeman yeah. he was fantastic he yes. was also i mean he was so crazy and and uh and bruce dern too and I wanna, oh i love bruce so dern. so bruce dern was a guy this was the movie that made me stop hating bruce dern <laughs> And start paying attention to him. I had hated Bruce Dern since I was a small child, and my grandpa showed me the Cowboys. I mean, Bruce Dern was that son of that that shot John Wayne in the back and killed him. I hated yep. him. Yep. hated him. 
And then when the Burbs came out, he was so awesome. I was like, hey, that's the same guy. That guy's pretty cool. And that's when I decided, you know, I didn't hate Bruce Stern so much anymore. It was and, and, because and it makes you realize that he was a great actor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and as Rumsfeld, as Rumsfeld, he was fantastic. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a line that I love from uh, Corey Feldman when he's out there and he comes out. He goes, Mrs. Rumsfeld. Nice. No tan lines. Because <laughs> Mrs. Rumsfeld was fucking hot. Wendy yeah. Shaw. Wendy Shaw. Yes, so we'll go, we'll yes. go to metal. We'll go back. We'll go back to Metal Mike. What are some of the uh, standout scenes for you? Um, standout scene. Well, as I said, standout performances. Bill just nailed it. Rick Dukeman, man. I don't understand for the life of me why this guy didn't get more work in the movies. Right. Funny, funny guy, man. And just very uh, the way he delivered his lines. And everything, but oh, there's, I mean, even from the very beginning, like when the old dude's dog goes to Rumsfeld's yard and shits in it and, and, <laughs> you know, Bruce Stern starts going off. And I mean, from the very beginning of the film, really to the end, I mean, but as far as like standout scenes, of course, um, as I said, like when Rick comes over and he's literally just eating yeah. then out of house <laughs> and home, stuff, you know, he just keeps eating, man, and arguing with uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, and I don't know, man. There's just so many great scenes. Like my favorite part probably is when um, he's got the book and he's telling him, dude, they're doing satanic rituals, man, you know, and all that. And then you got Tom Hanks going blah, blah, blah. And he's like, see, see, satanic incantation chanting. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is my pal. And then later when Tom has the nightmare, that's what they're chanting. Yep. It was hilarious, man. I mean, a lot of, like you said, dark humor, but also kind of cartoony humor, too. Like when, when um, sure. you know, Rick gets fried. For instance, yep. and right. you know, and then of yeah. course Tom gets stuck and and blown up and survives and just uh, all that and and just the the Klopex even I mean oh yeah they were great too the kid from Can't Buy Me Love and a lot yep. of other B movies man yep. he's just so creepy uh, and that part where he literally drives his trash down to the end of his driveway <laughs> and then takes yes. that rake and just beats the living fuck out of it. And I love what Tom yep. Hanks goes. I've never seen that in all the years I've been, I've never seen somebody just <laughs> drive the trash to the end of the, and just beat the hell out of their garbage like that. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many uh, funny parts, man. Um, and just like one of my other favorite parts is when they go to get Tom and Carrie Fisher's like, no, He's not going out. He's and they're acting like little kids. They're like kicking the ground and going, yeah. "Come on, man! Can he just for a little while at least?" Like they're they're like little kids, man. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. It was. It's a great movie. It's an underrated gem, as far as I'm concerned. I was just gonna say one thing. I noticed too that uh, uh, we picked up on at the end of the movie. I noticed that Mike and I watched this together here recently because uh, we hadn't seen it in a while, and I have it in my collection, but. Whenever Corey Feldman has his group of friends over and they're uh, all of them are out there. One of his friends was uh, was Nikki Cat. Um, <laughs> if you know who that is, uh, actor wise. So Nikki Cat, dazed and confused, is probably one of my favorite movies. Nikki Cat was Clint. You know, I came here to do two things. Oh, drink right. Some beer. And That's right. Kick some ass. And I'm about out of beer. He was one of his friends. And. I mean, that guy's kind of like a chameleon. He's been in so many movies and he changes his look and, and, and mm -hmm. the way he does things. And so he just kind of gets lost sometimes in all these movies that he's been in. But that was an early role for him. He was one of he had this long hair and 
was over there hanging out as one of Corey Feldman's buddies. I thought that was kind of neat too. Yeah, like, he was oh, the guy that was gonna pick that up he, before. Wasn't he the guy that was gonna get the McDonald's run? And then Corey's like, dude, I ordered pizza. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was yeah. him. Right. Well, the other great character actor that's in towards the end of the film is the detective played by Franklin Ajaye. And so, uh-huh. if you've ever seen uh, Car Wash, the movie Car Wash, he plays TC, the 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 fly. You know, he's the fly guy. And he's also in the uh, Neil Diamond Jazz Singer. He plays his friend Bubba. So it's yes. kind of cool to to see him as well. And then, and, yeah, and he's also in Deadwood. Deadwood. That's true. Yes. True. Yep. Yeah, he's still a great, great comedian one. too. He's a great stand-up comedian too. He I is. Don't know that about him, but yeah, he's a funny. He's a funny dude. Well, with the wealth of riches, I mean, you barely mentioned Carrie Fisher. I mean, she yes. and, and she's like the the reason. You know, she's the uh, sanity in all of this madness throughout all of this. And what's interesting is, I guess on the set, uh, Hanks and Dukeman didn't get along for whatever reason. Maybe I I I don't know why because they actually had pretty good chemistry and I guess Corey Feldman was having some issues on on set as well because he was in like kind of the peak of his fame and and drug uh, issues so uh, through it all they got great performances out of everyone really well, I yeah. didn't I didn't know there was any tension between oh yeah the, uh, Tom and Rick man yeah hmm. yeah maybe that's why Rick didn't get any more work that's, all right that's possible I don't know but. Uh, Again, this movie works because of that, because of those reasons. I think it. There's so many little intricacies in this that it bears repeat viewing. Is there anything you guys picked up um, from watching it again? Like you guys mentioned, some of but anything that really stands out um, compared to when you saw it as a kid. And we'll, well, we'll start with Mike. I, I'll tell. I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I'll tell you one person that I had forgotten was in it, and that's Dick Miller. He's the garbage yep. man. Yep. With <laughs> Rob Robert Picardo, who from the Howling. Was in, yeah, and also was uh, played the holographic doctor in Star Trek Voyager. There's my nerd moment. There you so, go. Um, yeah, you know, so totally, I, I'd forgotten that. Now they just you know, spread the garbage all over. And Dick oh, Miller's like, I ain't, I ain't picking this up, man. Yeah. My job's to take the trash bags and put them there. I'm not pick- And sure shit, man, later in the film, the garbage is still laying there. Yep. You know? Um, yeah, it's a... Like I said, man, there's just so many uh, classic uh, moments and lines. And, of course, the part where he uh, fools the girls. And, well, I, I think they're clean. I think they're clean. And, and Bruce uh, Dern's all like, so uh, are you just going to be a totally uh, complete pussy whipped? You know, like, and then he's all like telling him, this is what I found. And of course, he found Walter's toupee. And that whole line where he's looking right in the camera, he goes, nobody kills an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it. I mean, it's just a... It's just a cool movie, man. Uh, I, I think Joe Dante is kind of an underrated director. I don't think that totally, dude gets enough totally. credit. Because, uh, no. like you said, it's dark humor. Even, even the howling had moments of humor in it. So Absolutely. You know, yeah, but then exactly. again, so did its contemporary American Werewolf in London. You know, yes. which, By the way, if you ever do that movie, I definitely want to be in it. I, I have it in my collection. We'll, we'll definitely awesome. talk about it. Yeah, and and another one that he did kind of uh, a few years later is Matinee with John Goodman, which was really well done. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that one. Neither have I. I've never it, seen it either. It's based on like those film directors that, that would do those kind of uh, campy um, shock, fl- you know, flicks where you go to the theater and you'd have like you know uh, your seat would move or you get jabbed when like someone comes in, like that. Oh, uh, you know, like the guy no, that directed the Tinker. Yeah, yeah. So it's really well done. He's like one of one of those like showman like uh well, type guys that goes into towns and basically you know causes an uproar for, from this new devil worshiping music you know movie <laughs> so yeah um without giving it away and we'll start with bill on this one 
uh, were you did you predict the ending or were you thought did you think it was going to go somewhere else yeah kind of i kind of did predict it when i watched when i watched it back in the day and again now but i just i i didn't see how it was going to get to that point uh mm-hmm. the the ending was kind of a surprise because it, they kind of had the upper hand and they didn't have it didn't have to end that way i think they kind of mis misread things and, and turned it on themselves so mm-hmm. i yeah i didn't i didn't see it ending that way i'm trying trying to, to speak around not giving away what sure. happened like you just said but yeah but yeah so no not really surprised how it turned out maybe surprised how it how it got there you know i'm trying it. to figure out was going to get there but i just assumed that it was going to end that way somehow that yeah right how about you mike um yeah i'm wrong. i'm kind of along with bill I, I i knew they weren't completely clean without giving anything away but i and and there's a reason why because there's a certain piece of evidence that shows up in the film in fact the two leads kind of freak out when they realize what it is right and so i'm like oh because the whole time when they're making it out like okay they're just normal they're just kind of weird people but they're not murderers i kept thinking but what about the blank you know hold on a moment that uh, had to come from somewhere somehow, you know, and then mm-hmm. of course, when mm-hmm. you find out at the end of the film, then it's like, oh, okay, everything fits and makes sense, and and, right. and everything. And it also explains the fact that you know the Klopex moved into the neighborhood suddenly. It was like one day they were weren't there. It was the other people, and then all of a sudden the Klopex lived there. So right. I, I thought again, very well done, very funny movie. Very underrated. And, and like you said, all the performances. And leaving you, you mentioned the late, great uh, Carrie Fisher, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just a cool movie. And, of course, uh, What's-Her-Face is Mrs. Rumsfeld. I mean, hot damn. Yep, Wendy Shaw. And I think this is uh, – you guys all brought up great points why this bears repeat viewing because there are little clues you can pick up where if uh, if you know where to look for, maybe you'll, maybe you'll find them. Uh, to wrap up, I'm assuming both of you would, would – um, recommend this movie. What would you compare it to, like film-wise? Mm. And we'll we'll start with Bill. I don't know what I'd compare it to film-wise. That's a that's a good question. I was gonna say as far as as uh, '80s Tom Hanks movies, I'd rate it fairly high. I mean, mm-hmm. for people, if there, was, I'd, I'd rank it. I mean, Big and Money Pit were the the ones that were the best in my opinion. But I'd sure. say probably The Burbs is might be my uh my third favorite wow I mean, really I, so, I rank it higher than splash and and volunteers wow. I was never and dragnet really on volunteers dragnet was okay I, I mean i really like turner and hooch yep. as a kid but i mean i i'd i'd probably put big money pit in the burbs would probably be my top three tom hanks 80s movies and over bachelor party okay well uh <laughs> okay four i'm sorry bachelor <laughs> party would go three. i'm sorry yeah there's no, there's no donkey show in uh, the that's birds, right, so, and yeah. or Tony Katane, so yeah, right, that's true. So Mike, well, how about you? Are there any movies you compare it to, and where yeah. would it rank in uh, in Tom? Like Tom, ooh, that's a good question. Eighties um, filmography, we can't, you know. Don't, okay, yeah, obviously we can't count nineties. Yeah, um, I'd have to say big number one. Mm-hmm. Number two would be Bachelor Party. Number three would be Splash. I have a lot of fond memories of that movie. Watching it, my, my mom loved absolutely loved that movie, so I have yep. a lot of good memories. And then after that, maybe even Tide would be The Burbs. Mm. Um, as far as a movie to compare it to, I'm trying to think of some other dark comedies. 
um, the cable guy kind of comes in mind. Ah, dark yeah. comedy, you know, a movie that's kind of quirky and yep. different and maybe wasn't really understood when it come out, but now yep. people appreciate it a lot more. I've uh, never seen that. You've never seen the cable guy, bro? No, oh, gotta, I have not. You gotta watch it. It's it's crazy. Cable guy. Yeah. I, well, my favorite part's like I really don't have time in my life for a new friend. So, <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> I do that to my dad all the time. He'll be, you know, saying stuff that are giving me advice. I'll just look at him and go, so, what are you trying to say, Pop? And he'll just laugh and go, I think I'm saying it, son. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I think that would be a good movie to compare it to. But, you know, I'd forgotten that Joe Dante had done Explorers, and that's another really good movie, man. It is, and nothing like his other stuff, because it's pretty straightforward. It's a sci- It's more sci-fi camp, mm-hmm. um, but it's fun. It's like a fantasy, it's a typical fantasy 80s movie. And, and if you were of the right age, and I was, it like it totally was in my wheelhouse. Oh, I, I liked it a lot myself. I was a little bit older, but I got a big kick out of it. It was sure. a, a very funny movie. And, and of course, the aliens that they meet. And yes. yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been and a long did, time since I've seen that. And then he did Inner Space, which was kind of underrated oh, with yes. uh, Dennis yes. Quaid. Yep. Yeah, that was a good movie, too. I, I thought of one that might be, I, I guess, sure. Edward Scissorhands might oh, be there you go. the same uh, mold as The Burbs. Yep. If people are familiar with that. Yeah. yeah, definitely, because it's got that that dark Tim Burton type uh, type humor as well. Right, and and in suburban living, and you know, kind of all that kind of stuff too, with the you know quirky, weird guy, and yeah, I mean, it's it's similar, I think, with that. Yeah, type definitely. Of yeah. Well, as always, like this is the type of stuff you get when you listen to the Metal Mike Show on uh, <laughs> every Friday <laughs> at eight PM Eastern on thatmetalstation.com. They'll talk about. Anything and everything. It's you never know what you're gonna get. They have a great rapport and uh just really happy you guys could both make it on onto the show this week. I humbly thank you, Brian Davis. Uh it's funny about our show because yeah, we're a metal show and we talk music, obviously, but we will sure. talk about all kinds of stuff. Cause me and Bill, our our goal with that show is to make it as much as a comedy show, as much as uh, a radio show or a metal show, you know. It's right. like and when you add um eccentric people like my nephew Kane <laughs> into the mix and my older brother and other people like that and Dirty Dave, which he hasn't been part of the show in a long time. And of course my brother Mark, you know, sure. I mean, yeah, it, uh, it, it gets, it gets pretty nutty, man. And just, I mean, me and Bill will literally like Bill, he's the one he's always like, dude, I read this story about the butthole tickler bandit. We have to talk <laughs> about that on the air. And I'm like, you're right. We do. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, I have, you know. I have a skit I want to do. We haven't done it yet. And I don't know when we'll, we'll mix it in, but there's a, uh, there's a company that puts out these, uh, children's books that are kind of, uh, <laughs> uh like, um, a lot of sexual innu- innuendos and, uh, crazy stuff. And I want to start kind of doing a segment where I read some of that on air. There you um, go. Some of these children's books and, and, uh, I think it would be hilarious. You know, it's like like a couple of weeks ago, Mike was ordering a pizza from Domino's, mm-hmm. and uh, Domino's had to call back like twice while we were on air. I don't know. Yeah, if they couldn't get my order time, right. <laughs> but I would get while they'd call him, he'd answer the phone, and we'd be on air. And then I'd get in real close to the mic, and I'd be like, "Oh yes, uh, 
Mike is on the phone with Domino's again now. It sounds like they're out of out of Sprite, and they're going to have to replace <laughs> his drink order with Mr. Pibb. And I just like play it like I was like I was calling the Masters or something. Like I was doing right, like, real right. real serious but soft spoken, and you could hear so you could still hear Mike talking to the Domino's guy in the background. And <laughs> and then I mean, when I would get done, I'd be like, "Shut the fuck up," you yeah. know. Yeah. Which I didn't mean it, but, you know, for comedy effect, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, doing, we make a good team, man. You're doing the man on the street bit, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. And then, so, yeah, reading the children's books, you could be the new uh, James Earl Jones. I think this is a good, th- good thing, Bill. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh, wait till you hear these stories, Brian Davis. Well, are, look, uh, you guys can all hear this on ThatMiddleStation.com every <laughs> Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So check it out. They're the best. And, again, thank you guys for doing this. No problem. Thank buddy. you, Brian Davis. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.